In today's episode, we talk with Mark Bates from EB Motorsport about his early 9-11 obsession. Nine Whites Radio is your dedicated Porsche and car podcast, taking you closer than ever to the world's finest sports cars and the culture and history behind them. The show is brought to you by nineworks.co.uk, the innovative online platform for Porsche enthusiasts. Hosted by Porsche journalist Lee Sibley and 993 owner and engineer Andy Brooks, with special input from friends and experts around the industry, including you, our valued listeners. Good evening, listeners, and welcome to the man cave of Mr. Andy Brooks. <laughs> My lair. <laughs> <laughs> Not just you and I down here, Andy. No, we've got a little dog. There is a dog in the background. And a car. And a car, yes. More importantly, or most importantly, is your 993 yeah. sitting resplendently on the ramps. And it's nearly back together at yeah, last. Yeah, it's got suspension. Oh, it is a thing of beauty. I cannot wait for us yeah. to share pictures of this to listeners. But yeah. um, It's been a long while coming, hasn't it? It has. Is it worth... We re- a lot of talking about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There was, there was trajectory online that uh, might have ran off with another owner at some point. You're not three, right? So it's probably worth just kind of recapping the story for listeners that aren't kind of au fait with, uh, with what's going on with your 993 at the moment. Yeah, so doing a, a full suspension refresh it's turned into. Um, so, yeah, my car's in good condition, but the suspension was getting a bit... Um, yeah, a bit leggy, I guess. It had some lowering springs on of unknown quality, <laughs> which were a little bit rusty on the outside. If anybody wants them, they're still hanging around in a corner somewhere. <laughs> Charitable donations accepted. Yeah. Uh, had the old green, um, I think the Monroe shocks, or maybe what's the other standard manufacturer? But they, you know, just the standard shocks, not MO um, 30. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it rode quite well, but it was low and you could feel that it hit the top mounts yeah the front yeah so the top mounts were were getting pretty mashed as well yeah um and i had a few other things like cv joints um all of the rubbers were you know aged quite a lot of cracking so it was all due really needed to be done things like the handbrake um cables they were getting a bit stiff so it was just getting to that point yeah yeah so correct me if i'm wrong the last journey undertaken in this car was at the end of October 2021 or start of November. Mm-hmm. I vaguely remember us going up to Ren 11 for the Ren 11 podcast yeah, interview. Yeah, it would have been about that time, actually. There was a yeah. lot of salt on the road. Yes. And then the car came off-road over winter. God, there was so much salt. There was a lot of salt. You couldn't believe that amount of salt I found <laughs> on the car. It was outrageous. <laughs> There's definitely none under there now. No. Um, yeah, look, like all good projects, it's kind of snowballed a little bit, I think it's fair yeah. to say. Yeah, it did. It snowballed a little bit. Uh, probably went a bit... Yeah, further than I anticipated. I've refinished everything yeah. now. Um, but, yeah, getting getting bits has been a bit troublesome. Mm-hmm. Um, getting some bits from in Europe, that was a bit troublesome with Brexit, like, you know, the new regulations yeah. and stuff. Bringing those over caused delays and lost parcels. So, uh, yeah, a few bits like that. Um, and getting the Cerakote for... The, repainting all of the suspension arms yeah um that was a trouble as well which sort of led to the latest delays but yeah it's good it's all 
back together now. I think to kind of hammer home the point of just how much work's been undertaken on this car, obviously, as a, as a 993, it's a near 30-year-old 911. Yeah. But underneath, underneath is a brand new car. To yeah. all intents and purposes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've reconditioned a lot of the parts. So the um, drive shafts, are, they've still got the original CV joints, but I've re taken all the old grease out and re-greased them mm-hmm. uh, new rubbers repainted the actual shafts um, and all of the like components as far as um, fixings and so forth have been uh, cleaned up and then replated yeah yeah um, all of the aluminium components have got cerakote finish on them uh, which you know the plan is that that will make it easy to maintain <laughs> you <laughs> right, buddy. have you lost it He's lost his ball. Who is it? I, I think a really kind of, again, like neat illustration as regards to the magnitude of this. Uh, you and I went out for uh, some food last week with Paul and we were trying to kind of place a monetary value on the work undertaken. And that was surprising for me just but you know, by your yeah. estimation, because you've done all of this yourself. Yeah. You know, I've had the, there's well, the, you know, so yeah, I've had bits done. So plating's been done. Cerakoting's been done. Uh, calipers have been refurbished. Um, so they've got had a full rebuild and repaint. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's not all my own work. But yeah, yeah, but like the, the, the stripped down assembly and whatnot, yeah. is it, which, you know, you, by, by your own kind of uh, illustration, you, you've saved many hours that would have otherwise cost you a hell of a lot of a lot money, money in, yeah, in labour, you know? Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. It'd be quite interesting to actually work out how much. I reckon I've probably, yeah, five grand in labour I've probably saved. Yeah. And then I've been clever in how I've bought parts. You know, I've not bought just from one source. Um, I've shopped around for lots of stuff and, yeah, I guess bought the overall spend for all the components down quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is superb and shows it can be done. Yeah, yeah, it can be done. It's hard work, you know. You, you do, yeah, you, your own hours are used up. So I've been doing lots of hours the last week. Uh, my wife's away at the moment um, in Spain. So I've had a... F- Luckily, <laughs> which has given me some hours in the evening. So I was, you know, still tinkering away at two a.m. last night. Yeah, you legend. Yeah, getting the getting the last front strut on. So, yeah. yeah. So going to be back on the road next week. Yeah, uh, MOT on Thursday. So that will be the Thursday just gone when this podcast goes out. Yeah. Um, off to Barn Sport on Monday evening for an alignment if it all goes to plan. Um, and then it'll be at flat six next week. Excellent. Yes. Yeah. Well, we shall be. We shall have a, a, a minor presence at what should be a really cool show there. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, what's been the biggest snag of the project? Biggest snag. Biggest shock. No pun intended. <sighs> biggest snag. Oh. Um, reassembling. When you reassemble and you put something on the wrong way around. Yeah. Yeah. That's pain in the arse. <laughs> um, so front anti-roll bar, I put in upside down, <laughs> which I noticed yesterday when I was like trying to put the uh, the links back in. I was like, oh, shit, which basically meant that I had to disassemble most of the, the front again. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was a bit of an arse. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you, you kind of – it's funny, actually, because you, you do one side and you learn how it all goes together in the best way. And then the other side is done in what seems like 30% of the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's all good learning experience. Brilliant, mate. Honestly, yeah, look, I mean, it's, it's way beyond my pay grade. So, you know, doff my hat to you, mate. Honestly, it's <laughs> well, an absolute it work of art. Well, you know, this is the thing. It's like, do you, do you want to drive it? It just it oh, looks yeah, absolutely majestic driven, underneath there, you know. It's to be driven. And, 
you know, my plan is that all the work that I've done, uh, the finishes that I've picked and how that I've applied them all, it's there for good maintenance. Yeah. And you know, it's great. I've got this lift. I can have a lift up and um, give it a quick clean underneath. So, yeah. 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 Superb. Yeah. Please do share with the uh, listeners some snippets from the build story and certainly the result as well on, yeah. on social media. I know we're all really looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Congratulations on that. Thanks, man. I think another congratulations is in order because uh, we've hit 150,000. We did this week. Yeah. Downloads. That is. Can you believe it? Crazy. Andy yeah. Brooks. Absolutely crazy. Yeah. Who'd have thought that? Yeah. Yeah. I'll pat yeah. your back and you can pat mine, mate. Yeah. <laughs> slap, slap, slap. No, first of all, yeah, look, Andy and I just want to say a massive thank you to our listeners. Uh, obviously, you know, without you listening to this podcast, we can't hit such crazy figures absolutely you know yeah. and, and for for a podcast that's dedicated almost exclusively to to one brand one mark yeah i think it's fair to say we punch above our weight certainly in the podcast charts yeah definitely yeah we're regularly in the top top 20 hit the top 10s on a big episode so, yeah yeah yeah. M- yeah much like uh much like porsche itself is kind of not not afraid to take on the uh, bigger institutions out there absolutely. in regards to the competition and uh yeah i'd, I'd say we punch above our weight yeah Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. yeah, onwards and upwards. Yep, yep. So, yeah, we, we should chase the, uh, well, seven figures, I suppose, would be nice, wouldn't it, before, <laughs> what, next month? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, no, yeah, look, thank you for that. Um, so, 150,000 download. We've added to uh, the Patreons as well. We've got yes, a new, new a Patreon. Patreon. Yeah. Uh, John Emery, um, who joined us a couple of weeks ago. So, thank you very much, John. Um, what car has he got? I think he's got a 964, isn't he? C2 oh. manual coupe. Yeah. Um, which I think he's also had a few others as well. Or has he still got some? Got them. Uh, 997 GT3. Right, another 997. Yeah, he's got... And a 944 S2 as well. Ooh. So, yeah, he's got some nice cars and uh, and had some lovely cars in the past as well. Fantastic. Yeah, look, John, we're, we're super chuffed that you've joined the Patreon community. So thank you for that, good sir. Yeah, very kind of you. It goes without saying, if anybody else would like to join the Patreon crew, there's, a, there's quite a lively WhatsApp chat. Uh, WhatsApp what's chat. chat. That's quite difficult to <laughs> yeah. say. Uh, yeah, it's quite a, a lively WhatsApp chat uh, where we're currently looking to get a pad together for Rentsport Reunion next yes. year, which is, uh, I mean, yeah. I wouldn't describe it as a perk of being a Patreon, but <laughs> no. um, yeah, if, yeah. So if you'd like to join and support the show, there's there's usually a link on our Buzzsprout page. Yeah, yeah. So Get do do take a look at that as well. Um, we've kind of had a bit of a well, it's turned into a rolling theme of this series is sharing stories of our first Porsche memory. Yes, and uh, obviously last episode we discussed with our patreons the highlights of which made made the episode first portion memories and how that may have kind of correlated into the modern day or current ownership experience for a lot of people now i put this uh shout out to the community page of the nine works tv youtube channel and yep. and asked well, viewers for their first portion memory and there's a couple of people have come back which is quite cool and there's the obligatory uh, condoman, <laughs> which is, uh, I think, yeah, that's that's kind of uh, the seminal moment for a lot of people when it comes to Porsche. Uh, but there's a rather brilliant uh, recollection here from Marvin Samuels, who says, I don't know where exactly, but I fell for a 930 Turbo in gold around 1984. 
A few years later, an older cousin of mine bought a Sky Blue Carrera and that had cemented in it my psyche, my psyche as my favourite sports car. I now drive an Ionic electric, but pretend it's a Taycan. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I like it. Yeah, it's, it's a loose tie-in. Uh, somebody else who, I mean, I can't even pronounce this. It's one of those weird kind like of online usernames. Yeah, I have a bang on that. Uh, Moselle Cardiad. I reckon that's Welsh. We'll, we'll roll with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah sounds <laughs> like it. Right. Yeah, there's not a lot of vowels in there, so it yeah. uh, probably is. Uh, but yeah, uh, he or she says, uh, the company of my father produced the handbrake handles of 996 and 986. He always had a blue 986 and a black 996 on his desk. I can remember as I was standing in his office. My father got a stroke in 2000 and the company got bankrupt without him. So this era of cars will always remind me of him and his heartwarming oh. manner. I got my 996 4S last year. Couldn't be happier with any other car. How Fantastic cool is that? Story. You know? And yeah. again, a, a kind of direct direct link to that uh, original early Porsche memory. So, yeah, keep them coming, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let us know. Yeah. yeah. What else have we got on before we get on our guests this evening? What else have we got on? So, yeah, we've got Flat 6. Well, we're going to Le Mans Classic, which will have into by the time this comes out yeah yeah we, uh, we. So yeah looking forward to that yeah very much so yeah it's we are we're a on full-on weekend yeah it is so we're we're um, well we're making our own way over but we're going to meet up with the rpm technic guys uh and girls which will be awesome yeah staying in for the weekend but we're going to be chatting to a few different people in and around circuit de la sarthe i yeah. think you've lined someone up who listeners may yeah may recall from a previous episode yeah mike wilds is yeah. out there so it'd be good yeah. to, to get his reaction to, so, to a bit of race race weekend yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and i'm sure we we'll catch a few others as well definitely yeah. looking forward to uh doing them on classic for the first time yeah same for me yeah always wanted to do le mans as sort of growing you know up yeah i never really got around to it but i really feel le mans classic is the one to go for yeah get full access and yeah see everything and all of the different years it's gonna be fantastic yeah i think i think you're right you know like the Hopefully, there's less of a corporate aspect to it yeah. than like the the actual race itself. And and yeah, look, you know, if you've seen these cars growing up on the telly, to be able to kind of stand next to them and, and whatnot and see them again, x amount of years on yeah. for anybody is is pretty spectacular yeah. appearance. You know, driven by most of the the drivers who drove these machines in period. Yeah, that would be good. We're very much looking forward to Le Mans Classic. We'll yeah. bring, a, as you said, Andy, a, an episode next week, next kind week, of yeah. live from France, assuming we make it there in one piece, fingers crossed. Yeah, um, We're going in the 906, so anything can happen. <laughs> um, and then, yes, afterwards, we're going to be a flat six show, which we're really excited about. Yeah, really looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so that's next weekend. So, yeah, full, full few, well, getting this back on the road going to Le Mans flat six it feels like it's a full-on couple of car weeks for me yeah. I don't know about you. yeah it's nice it's nice uh, again um, a couple of the patreons have said that they're going to be at flat six as well so it'd be yeah. nice to meet with those and catch up in person as well absolutely um yeah look Le Mans classic we're gonna be meeting all sorts of enthusiasts so that's that's gonna be great it's just gonna be awesome to hear so yeah. many like new car stories I think and, yeah. and chat yeah. to people so yeah bring it on marvelous amazing right, right. so today's guest May main subject uh, we have got Mark on from EB Motorsport. Um, I don't know if many people have heard of them. They're sort of not under the radar, but uh, yeah, they're not. I would say they are probably a bit under the radar. Yeah, so I'd it'd agree be good with that. to hear their story. Yeah. And uh, yeah, see see what they're all about. Yeah, definitely. Let's, uh, let's chat to Mark. Mark Bates from EB Motorsport. Thanks for joining us. EB, I guess, 
is a relatively unknown business to the common man in the Porsche world. Um, I've been dying to know more about the EB story. Uh, from what I believe, it started as a as a hobby, um, sort of ten or so years ago, um, and that's now turned into a, a business designing and manufacturing unobtainable components for early 911s. I wonder if you could give us um, a bit of the background story on EB, please, Monk. Without wanting to uh, bore your listeners too much, so we're, a, we're a family business. My father started over 60 years ago. So the background has really come from uh, historically agriculture, but we're an engineering company and engineering manufacturing base. So, yeah, without going through all, all the nitty gritty detail, we have quite an extensive manufacturing uh, setup uh, that's been here. I mean, the, the, the business is on the same site it's been on since the late 50s. I took over with my brother, even though my dad's still about, when we were still in our teens. So steep learning curve to start off with. You know, we, we're very fortunate. We, uh, my dad was a, uh, as, as people like to say, he was a petrol head. He had some very uh, cool cars over the years. We grew up with a lot. Um, we like big cars more than uh, sports cars. So he was a Rolls Bentley man, really. And, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, but uh, as we as we grew up, yeah, we we managed to cajole him into uh, purchasing a few few of the cars that we liked, and um, yeah, it went from there. So our background is really from a facilities point of view. We have full machine shop, uh, sheet metal fabrication, composite production. So typically we make, uh, on the equipment side of our business, we make, uh, we probably process 500 tonne of composite a year, a few hundred tonnes of steel work, do injection moulding, extrusion. And so for, from the side that were known as the, the parts and the manufacturing and production side, it was relatively easy for us because of our background to get into that. And the, the EB Motorsport side grew from a hobby grew up with go-karts all sorts of different things um and that exposure and um and yeah cars bikes i mean both james my brother my older brother and myself we had yeah lots of fun in cars and bikes as we were younger and then i don't know um track days uh, you know without all that detail stuff we uh, i suppose 15 years ago maybe more yeah um an ice gent we used to see from from the club days back when Tony Flint and all those guys were about. Uh, we got to know one or two. And um, anyway, a gentleman said to us that, that we're, we're friendly with, why don't you come out to Spa and uh, Nürburgring? So we started doing these European track days. Um, never, it was all at the time. I mean, when we first started doing them, uh, my brother and myself, we had, a, we had some of the first uh, water-cooled cars uh, at, at Porsche Club events. And we were kind of poo-pooed. <laughs> there was a real stigma to it. But uh, anyway, and then as, as the years went by, you didn't really see many early air-cooled cars about. Kind of had a, you know, a, an interest in them. Met one or two guys who, who was toying with the idea and, and having things built. So uh, bought a car more as an investment and as a project uh, 15 years ago, I would think it'd be now, I'm guessing. 1973 car. Um, and as I've said this to so many people, it, it started out... I mean, the, the the girlfriend now, the wife, she thought I was mad when I turned up in this thing, backfiring, smelled like an old lady's handbag. It was, I thought it was fantastic. She thought I'd lost my mind. So I remember turning up, uh, turning up at a mum and dad's house and seatbelt wouldn't recoil. The seat didn't lock in. It, I mean, it stank of petrol, but I thought it was fantastic, this little old hell girl yellow car. 
I remember, I remember leaving her. For, uh, I'd stayed with her for the week, and I remember coming back home and pulling down the. It was she lived over Cheshire Way, and I pulled down the East Langs. It uh, pulled up to set traffic lights, and this thing had backfire and let off two massive gunshot noises. And this guy pulled along next to me in the car, and he was nearly having a heart attack because he had no idea where these noises had come from. And it was loved. You know, I find it, I find it quite amusing. So I decided after I don't know. 500,000 miles it needed new seats and uh, James gave me a hand in mum and dad's garage and uh, what should have been a few hours work uh, six or eight hours later this thing was gutted I mean we literally <laughs> the more we dug into it the more problems we found and it just became one of these things let's pull it to bits and see where we can get to and then it was a question of right do I restore it back to factory or do something different with it and I quite like the STs and didn't really see a lot about. So went down this path of research and all the different things and what made an ST the way it was and, and how do we do it properly and then sourcing the parts. So I went on this uh, massive uh, tour around the UK, Europe, Essen, and it, I still don't believe it today. We, we I think we pretty much, the car got stripped in March and it was on the road in August. Um, and one of the hardest hard. things was getting the getting the arches, the rear arches done. Um, and Steve Monk ended up doing them then from uh, from memory. And obviously, there's various. Uh, we didn't do this thing in house, even though we had capability. So I used vendors and you know suppliers, sourcing things and specialists. And then the car was finished. I ran it on the road and through one of my contacts at the at these various track days. I thought, well, you know, uh, and it always was with the plan of selling the car. Uh, to make profit you know how yeah. it goes <laughs> and uh, it, that never happened uh, and it was right well if I go and race this car you know will it give it a bit more credibility so um, I got introduced to back then a gent who worked for Masters Racing in the UK someone said if you know if you don't want to trade paints and you want nice clean racing look after the car go and race with those guys so uh, I went down to ret uh, race retro would it be when it was, you know, at Stonely. Yeah. There used to be an event down there. Um, met those guys and said, you know, I want to come racing. What do I need other than like the start thing and the go racing pack? And do I, you know, can I turn up with the, with my with my van and things like that? Do I need a team? And he said, no, we have also, you know, it's club racing. There's guys who turn up with support crews and trailers. And we've got a flatbed sprinter. So I bought some ramps Um some chocks of wood to get it on there, and uh, I turned up at I turned up at Silverstone and uh, not Silverstone Snetterton before it became the three hundred. Full of nerves, and uh, I was in uh, it's called Top Hat Series, a GTB class because uh, I was under two and a half litre short stroke. It was uh, built the car as, um, and the car had all sorts of things. I mean, we had forty six Webers on it, and uh, Jane, uh, my wife, came with me, and my brother was down there supporting and. We were really not had a clue what we we're doing, other than me pounding around this circuit trying to avoid hitting anybody. And, <laughs> Sounds uh, like Lee a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, and um, and the car was—I was having fun, but uh, the car had a horrible fueling issue, and it actually—I I made it to the checkered flag, coasted past, and the car stalled, and I barely made it. I, I, I think I, I finished uh, around where the old circuit, where what they called, I think it's called a bomb hole, something like a big dip in the circuit when you came under the under the under the bridge. Under the, yeah. was. And I got towed back in, and, and Jane came running towards me. I was really annoyed because Cara can't. And she says, "Quick, quick, run! You're on the podium." <laughs> and I thought she was pulling my leg. And I said, you know, 
So I had some choice words. And she said, no, no, you've, you've won. You've won your class. And I was staggered. So <laughs> I spent the rest of the season. All I wanted to do was get rid of the cross on the back of the car so I could go and race in Aspa and all these places where I could go, like the Summer Classic. And we did really well. Um, I ended up winning the championship. Wow. So that's um, first. how long ago was that? I can't remember that it was 09 or 10. It yeah. might have been out. It was somewhere back then. And I ended up back at Spa. So I'd, I'd gone to Spa for the Summer Classics, um, which was run by a different organisation. And we, we ended up winning that. Um, and I really got the bug for the whole racing thing and, uh, and, and the development of the car trying to understand it. So yeah. trying to, you know, and everybody I talked to was, I said, well, why do we do this? Why do we do that? And it was, well, that's how, uh, how it's, it's always been done. Yeah. And, and I didn't want to do that. So I spent, I didn't have, uh, I did all sport. Um, so the car set up in the garage and, you know, the more, I mean, bear in mind, I raced on one, two sets of tires, uh, some road anti-roll bars bits. And over the season, just kept evolving this car to want to go quicker and better myself. Uh, and I ended up at Spa uh, for the six-hour meeting, and obviously I kept getting exposure to all these different cars and different things. And there was another, there was another class called the Touring Seventies, which was uh, they had uh, BMW Batmobile, CSLs, Mark One, Mark Two Escorts. Uh, There's a couple of Porsches racing there, wow. and uh, slick tires. Very yeah, field. And then, and then my friend at the time, he was racing in a series called World Sports Cars racing in Pescarolo class with a, what was at the time a 74 spec RSR uh, race car and against um, another 74 RSR and some Corvettes. So anyway, you're going to be on here all night if I keep babbling on. But, um, <laughs> That's good. So, so we went to the six hours and I was chasing some guys I got quite friendly with in a, in a Capri. We came down towards Com, and we're, I think I was, uh, we were, I think uh, we were fighting for second, chasing an ice gent down who raced the E-type jack for the pole. The weather was terrible and we passed the back marker and he panicked, uh, lost his car and we, he ended up uh, stoving all the rear arching. Uh, I managed to finish, I think we still finished third overall, second or third. Um, and I thought it was a good opportunity to, because there was no class distinction for, there was only this one class that did uh, GTB or under two and a half litres. Yeah. So over the winter, uh, I'd already made the decision I wanted to go into this Slicks, uh, Slicks tyre series with the other escorts and things. And that's having having had the luck to, you know, and the, the fortunate uh, chance to, to win this uh, Stars of the 70 series. I, that was my goal the following year. And my friend said to me, well, why are you at this? Why are you at the weekend? The only difference was the tyres for the series. Why don't you come keep me company in the sports car series? Uh, which at the time, I think, had just got FIA status. Uh, Ron had managed to get Bernie Eccleston to sign it up. So it became an FIA-sanctioned uh, series. Um, so I went out for the touring race and went and did the sports cars keeping company. Uh, I um, ended up doing well in that class and I won the World Sports Car Championship uh, wow. the following year, um, which, it, I mean, you can imagine, I was just, I was loving all of this, you know, I, I got to were, race yeah. in on grids with T70s and all these things. And um, yeah, we we started, I th 
whilst all this me having a lot of fun was going on, people kept coming to the garages and saying, you know, asking about the cars, you know, because in the yeah, start race, because you're doing like, so well. Yeah, and the thing is, there weren't that many. I mean, in the UK, there was my friend with the 74 this uh, who was campaigning regular by which time he'd already decided to evolve this to a 73 spec car like mine there was a guy in scotland and you didn't really see any other 911s racing you know there were people who'd come out but they wouldn't campaign regular you'd see them at the six hour meetings yeah but you never saw them in the pre-66 class it didn't have this following it's got now so all all this kept evolving and the business uh, some of the parts I'd, I'd sourced, uh, people kept coming and asking me where, where, where they came from. And I, I said, well, I can, I can source these for you. And I never really had an, um, uh, the intention to, to, to sort of uh, start manuf- getting where we are now with the business. But uh, my father always said to me, if we're going to do something in business, let's do it properly. So EB Motorsport got uh, trademarked. So there's a whole story there where we had to fight Bugatti for that under trademark <laughs> yeah. infringement. That, that was it. And, um, and the parts business evolved. And what happened was... So what was, what was the first parts that you, you, know, you manufactured? The first part was... Yeah. Uh, they were composite parts. They were... Uh, I thought it might be. Yeah, so I had a, a a gentleman started on the on the composite production to make because uh, we we make big storage vessels mainly. Yeah, so that's what composite mate- composite materials. Yeah, so your basic fiberglass, uh, yeah. as people call it. I mean, as soon as you start putting other materials and things, and then the technical term changes. And uh, yeah, yeah. But so he'd come from he'd spent his uh, his life becoming a very good tool maker and pattern maker, and he he. he he worked in the main production hall, but it wasn't really his. When I said to him, do you think you can make this tooling? And he was actually uh, some lightweight components for the back of the car. Because bear in mind, at the end of this World Sports Car Series, where I'd won this championship, obviously everybody was fighting for it. And the opportunity for us was, it, what, it, we were lucky to win it. It's got more and more difficult to win that championship yeah. because we, we never won a race outright. The highest I ever placed was third at Alton Park against the T-70s. And 911's got, you know, I mean, as fantastic a car they are. It was really the fact that I was, you know, I was I was young. I was 30, 33, 34, hence the reason a lot of my race numbers were 33. <laughs> I didn't really want, in fact, I never raced. I, to start off with, when I won the one things, they asked me to, you're supposed to race with the, the the number you won, the position you came. And I wouldn't race under the number one, I think, a season. And then I thought, well, I had to start, you know, really building the business. So I, I started racing under the number one when we won, we won the first, I think first the second time. But anyway, business evolved. Uh, the parts, the guys around the shop, uh, customers coming to the circuit, potential customers asking us where we got these things. And obviously, this continual development of how could I make my car faster, the understanding of the car, and it, it was everything. I mean, from damper development, brakes, uh, I found that you couldn't get brake rotors the correct size to meet FI requirements. They've become more and more stringent. Um, and just the lack of components or the quality of component and, uh, or the reliability. And, and so that, that, that's the driver on those side. And it evolved. I thought to start off with, well, We'll, we'll trade some parts, and if I can make enough uh, money out of trading the parts to, to pay for the uh, racing. 
Yeah, and you know, yeah. we weren't greedy about it. It wasn't that at all. I looked at what I thought was a f- fair rate um, for, for what we were doing. And then, um, yeah, it, over the years it went. So, we, you know, I ran Bill Stein dampers and the car was quick, but it was, it, it wasn't, no matter how we kept evolving the roll bars, the dampers, we were melting tyres. I mean, I did a set of tyres at Brands Hatch on the GP circuit, the Michi TB15s. They changed the compound without saying anything to anybody at one time, made it proper <laughs> wet. And I think I, I did a, a set of rears in uh, 30 minutes. Um, <laughs> and so I, I had to keep trying to look at how we'd, how we'd evolve. So uh, we ended up doing damper development, brake components, the rotors, um, we'd, we'd have warping and cracking. So I then had to find a company who'd start machining as the, the rotors from uh, AP Racing Blanks. We were allowed to run turbo calipers back then because the, the proper calipers weren't available. Yeah, um, you know, uh, people didn't make the right all line fittings, so, so they were using uh, dash fittings stuff like that. Um, so all these things kept coming up as we kept trying to evolve, and we were building more cars. I wanted yeah. my brother to come racing, so we develop a car, and, and so the we built this, the. Well, I think we bought the sixty five because I wanted to go and race in the pre sixty six. The endurance racing was where we wanted to be, and the guys at. You know, I don't like mentioning people's names but, uh, because of various reasons, but there was some very nice guys from uh, Holland and they were regularly campaigning some two-litre cars in pre-66, very quick. I'm not sure they'd, they'd meet legal standards today. <laughs> and I just kept looking at these cars and thinking, we need to go and do that. And uh, a nice guy who runs a Porsche outfit in the UK, you guys will know well, he used to go most years to six hours and campaign a green and a red car um and uh, he asked me if i wanted to drive i'd never driven a stand drive 901 box i didn't want to look like an idiot but anyway we went out and uh, <laughs> i think we we did uh, we didn't embarrass ourselves in the six hours and i just got the bug for for the um so we were evolving a 65 the 73 decided to build the 74 yeah, that was that's the first car I saw. Um, I went to Rensport Collective. I think is that two thousand and nineteen. Ah, uh, well, you saw that when it evolved to an RSR spec. Before that, yeah. it was actually it was built oh, okay. as an RS. Yeah, and the reason we chose the RS was because we thought if we take the RS was basically the same underpinnings, the same wheels, tires, same spec gearbox, engine as in race as a seventy three. It was only the the exterior, the silhouette that was different. Yeah. So the. And nobody was campaigning 74 RS. They either went 28 RSR, a few STs in Europe, or they went 74. They were, and, and nobody made a... And the other thing from a business point of view, there wasn't, there wasn't let's say, a kit, body kit, let's yeah. use the terminology, available for 74 RS. So we created one. And um, it was... Uh, yeah, it was easy. I remember the first... We were tight because we're from Yorkshire, so... Um, <laughs> we figured... We went to the first. Uh, we went to the first race meeting with, I think, one set of wet tyres at Donington, <laughs> and it hammered it down. And my brother was, uh, you know, we'd we'd grown up go kind of things, but he, he, you know, we did this Jim Russell at Donington years ago. But anyway, it hooned it down, and I thought I can't, I can't take the wets. So I can't remember if we did half and half. Anyway, it was it was hilarious, but uh, and uh, lots of fun memories. So that's how that one came, and then. Um, it so that, became a very pop, a very popular car kit. So the 74 RS, we sold a lot of it. 
okay. like to eight hours yeah. are. And and then we got this thing where we thought, well, let's develop a let's develop a car build where customers can see it and buy. And that's how a lot of the components. We have a great customer being with us in the UK, well known uh, client who uh, who we did a lot of work with in the early days. They do a lot of rally rally builds. Yeah. And I thought, well, those boys rip bumpers off all the time. If we're going to make uh, if we're going to make parts, let's make things we can sew. Um, <laughs> Good and, plan. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we started making uh, all these different spec bumpers, and what we do is we go down. I was I'd go and see them nearly every week um and evolve the parts and what i'd see was what was on the market the quality the fit and finish was terrible yeah, um, yeah. and the amount of work and preparation oh there's some absolutely um, awful stuff out there isn't there yeah you put it on the car and there's stuff that's like two inches out of where it should be and yeah i mean we're not perfect and and what we found is we take uh so for instance we tool off a factory part like a steel component so yeah. a steel uh, bonnet or a deck lid, uh, the bumpers. I mean, you know, I don't want to knock anything out there, but you buy a, a early steel bumper, you can't put that it straight into primary paint. It's got to be, you know, body yeah, shop's got to spend time on it. Yeah. We learned the hard way because we tooled off some parts and found out that they weren't actually good enough to go straight in a car to paint. And yeah. what, we, what, we, what we had to start doing was getting more and more shells up here. And we also found that the shells varied because they were handmade. Mm. Mm. So deck lid and people were chasing more modern uh, panel gaps. So that was the other thing. Um, and also the, you know, we had this with a number of the years where if it's educating, if you like, if that's the right to, someone buys a steel bonnet, fit it on the car to get the right gaps to space the wings off. But if they yeah. buy a composite, a fiberglass bonnet, you'll see a guy take a sanding pad to it or, or some kind of finishing tool. And what we did is we kept evolving the components to try and improve them, but without going too crazy on what they cost. So, yeah, it was composite parts and then the machining. Uh, that side evolved because we wanted to work in magnesiums, aluminiums, titaniums, all these specialist metals. And I couldn't find... The machine shops we were already subbing to, they didn't want low-volume stuff. They certainly didn't want to work in magnesium. So we ended up investing. And we had a tool room a long time ago, but we, we didn't do enough machining to, to justify it. And then as the, this business grew, we put a, a three-axis mill in to do magnesium housings. And then within nine months, we'd put a four-axis mill turn in. And then within 12 months, we'd put a five-axis CNC in. And now we have, so we have a full CNC machine shop. We have two 3D printers going. Three and this is all this is all your car manufacture stuff. Nothing to do with the. the uh, sort of it's mainly for the EB Motorsport side, wow. but there's a, there's obviously a crossover. We're lucky because I've got very different, diverse range of business. Yeah. So, I mean, from a production side, so we've got three injection molding machines, extrusion, uh, fusion welding. We've got five presses. Uh, one of them being a four-axis CNC press with laser angle measuring. Uh, the CNC machines, the 3D printers, right back to English wheels. Uh, we've got amazing, paint shop in-house. Amazing depth and breadth. Say again? Amazing depth and breadth of machining cap capabilities then. Yeah, so we don't sub anything out. That's I suppose that's what we found was the business kept evolving because every time we were doing a project, we either wanted the control in-house yeah. or I couldn't get the quality I wanted out for our projects uh, or the you know 
the amount of IP and development work you can imagine we've done over over a decade of racing, um, and we don't really advertise. The, the racing was our, it was where uh, we developed this, I suppose, uh, the, this international client base. I mean, we ship yeah. every day all over the world as yeah. components. Well, but I, was, what, I was saying what, earlier when um, I was talking to Lee that you're kind of, I wanted, I wanted to say sort of under the radar, but I don't know if that's true. Um, but you know, you're as as far as the sort of the common man's concerned, who's EB Motorsport? I don't think many people know no, how, I mean, how much stuff you do. We are very poor at marketing. Our <laughs> yeah. first, but do you need to? Um, no, I suppose we like making yeah. things. And um, my father always said the same with when he when he built the business. He always had this thing that we he. he and he, he brought James and myself up the same, that he always wanted to, it didn't matter what we were doing, we had to manufacture the best we could to our ability. Yeah. Um, and commercially, it's not always the right thing to do. But it, the thing is, if you go out and you start manufacturing things to price or you're looking at projects to price, and, you know, lots of these things, he, he sort of brought us up by uh, sayings and things that I can reel off. But so when we look at a project, we, we kind of, what's the best we can make it yeah and then you start going back to well is that a commercial project and sometimes we drive the guys mad here i mean jake who runs <laughs> our design department some plates a uh, customer said to me can you make us a sump plate for an early car like this one you can't get them anymore someone was having i said i'm not making that that's just being made for uh optimized production rather than uh yeah. And and the thing I recognised when I when I started restoring the first car, every component that my wife said to me, "You look at this like it's a piece of jewellery," and I say, "But it is, you know, it's jewellery for the car." And Absolutely. she said, "But what do, what does it do?" I said, mm-hmm. "Well, it, it's uh, nothing. It, oil passes through. You never see it. It's going to be covered <laughs> in dirt in five minutes." But so I had this thing where, you know, the customer is we're we're a hobby industry. Yeah. But it's become, it's more than that. But in simple terms, it's a, a lot of the things we're doing, there is kind of an emotional purchase as a, as a, a German uh, dealer uh, years ago said to me. So, you you know, I, w- I want the packaging, the product to look nice. And it's all about the finishing and, and, and all the rest of these things. But you've got to draw the line somewhere. Um, I mean, go back to composite parts. We could keep going forever retooling, but it gets very expensive yeah. to keep tooling for different things. But I mean, every time we create a new product, we might move the flash line where the the seam is on the tool. So, uh, so the latest, the, the last wing tooling we did, we moved all the flange and fittings. So when they come out, the actual all the mold faces, all the A, a faces, if you like they're all within the mold of the tool and yeah. you've got to stop somewhere otherwise the part gets so expensive for for uh, most projects you might sell it to a handful but you, you you wouldn't be able to sell it commercially then you take other things i mean uh, i'm in the shop now so you know you take a i don't know, you see that brake caliper yeah, that it's beautiful that's a so that's a, a brake caliper that you're holding up is that from a yeah. like an rsr so this is a replica of an RSR caliper that yeah. we've had. Beautiful I mean, we, start, we started out doing restoration on these for different customers on original cars. Yeah. And every time we got a caliper, we 3D scanned it to look at all the variations the factory made. And then we kept evolving at the finish. We've cast parts, but we found uh, the originals were cast, but, you know, they've got porosity issues. We actually machine everything now from billet, yeah. and then we post-process 
three different processes to, to replicate the Casper. We machine everything. We machine all these, uh, all, all the fasteners, Absolutely all the brake line fittings. We made a, a proper tool and fixture for forming the brake lines, yeah. uh, the pistons. And then we built a rig for pressure testing everything. And we just said, I, I did loads of research on brake calipers because it was an important thing. You know, if the engine brakes, you start, <laughs> if the brakes yeah. start working, you've got problems. <laughs> and I looked for uh, all sorts of standards and there, there really isn't any. So we said, right, what's the, we're buying a, a brake line from, uh, the hard line comes from Germany. Yeah. And I think it's got uh, in Imperial something like three and a half thousand working pressure. So I, the guy said to me, what are we testing these calipers to? I said, let's test them to three and a half thousand PSI because that's uh, that's the and uh, and we measured the deflection. We did a lot of and everything we sell goes on either our race cars or customers rally cars and they're all tested till I won't put anything. We, yeah. We'll have had a thing on the market for a long time. Uh, before it, it even goes out to be uh, commercially available. Yeah. What and everything's there, evolved like that. Sorry, Mark, if, if you don't mind, what, what I'd say there is there's real synergy with kind of Porsche itself, whereby these things are kind of proven on the racetrack first. Um, yeah. And the other thing which I think is really kind of crucial to point out to listeners just by way of context is like the, the componentry that you've been making for such a long time is very specialised. And I remember getting press releases through of, different components you've made with like the 911R project yeah. and, and and this was what this was way before even like the the 2016 911R had came out that gave people the context of the early one and again yeah. way before Porsche Classic had even kind of realized the gold mine that they're sitting on with restoring yeah. all of these um you know notable former works cars you, you guys were genuinely doing it a long time before kind of Classic itself there it, I think it, yeah it is and, and I think the other thing and you know without we're everyone's in business to make money but i think I, it seems like a passion project to me i don't than. think I, I don't think i'd be i don't think we've ever made if a customer's approached and said will you make this we'll make it and we're fair i think we're fair on it yeah. i mean everything's on the website everything's priced the other thing is we price to you know without going into commercial aspect we recognise that the dealers and distributors they, they can't be in business with our margins, so we have price structures to protect those because we have, you know, we're commercially minded about things. We, you know, export all the rest of it. But I've, I don't think we've ever we don't start out with let's make this product to go and make money. Yeah. You know, the amount of people over the years who've asked us if we will make this particular look bumper. I want to build a car that looks like this car. Can you make me these things? Yes, we can, but no, we won't. If you want that type of car, that's where you need to go and buy it. And loads yeah. of people have gone out and made this particular look component or this particular look thing. Or It's not really us. And I mean, the R, for instance, that came about because I thought, right, let's let's find a short wheelbase project. What can we do? And I, uh, I got fleeced on eBay on a 67, <laughs> 68, the idiot i bought this thing from new jersey and it had been crushed fire damage when it turned up i thought what an idiot um <laughs> and i thought what are we gonna do with this everything was rotten on it and i got really hooked on all the early stuff and you know the more you dig into this early air cooled era and the, you know you've got obviously the, the first the 64 and you can get into all the nitty-gritty detail of that but 
we don't make steel panels. Well, we do when we're restoring little ones, but we don't make it. You know, it's not us. So yeah. 911R, that's a, that's a race car. So our we were focused on competition cars. So if you look at all the early era of what we were doing, everything was competition car based. Yeah. So um, 911R, ST or TR, which was similar. You got so it's 911R. From just keep it simple. 911R, ST, 27RS. Uh, 73 RSR, 74 RSR, and then SCRS. And that was our portfolio that kept growing and obviously lots of different components in the middle, but they were all competition-based. Almiras, which wasn't a Porsche component, it was the Almiras Fred, the French guys, Group 4 car. Um, and there was lots of little bits in the middle. But the amount of people have come and said, Will you, do you make a 69-73 one-piece rear bumper? Unfortunately, we don't because it was never our market. Do you make a standard G-body front wing? No, because they never made it in uh, composite. And again, in the early days, a lot of the stuff we made, we we wanted to comply with the comply with the FIA regulations. So the 911R, I think we bought the car in 13. Um, and what did we do with it? Everything was rotten on it. And I said to the guys, right, uh, a lot of people asking me what about sunroof blanks, and we'd have to do one or two cars. And the panels were shocking, and uh, there was a lot of work. And I said, well, "Why don't we make a one-piece roof?" And this this car, Shortwheel Base, had, had a very nice one uh, steel non-sunroof on it. So we used that, and we actually used the whole car as a pattern car. Even though the wings were rotten, we straightened them up, filled them, shaped them, and we kept evolving all the different things. But in order, and I thought, right, if we're going to build an R, it has to have every component correct. And the thing with the R was, you needed from a visual point of ex- externally you had to have the correct rear arches front wings were slightly modified the quarter windows with the the little uh, vents the opening vents uh, that came off an aircraft and then but the lights nobody back then knew where the lights came from the indicators uh, and you couldn't source i spent months sourcing these things and finding them and the supplier now uh, the whole world knows where they come from <laughs> yeah. um, and i got supposedly and i'd learnt by now to try and source original parts and i got i traded some bits for some genuine supposed to be genuine our rear light housings and they came and they were awful they didn't fit so we retooled all those uh hella lights and so and then uh, whilst all this is going on people started to find out that we were making our components so although we were trying to build our project every time we we were trying to move forward. We got busy making uh, the customer stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, and obviously as we were building uh, the evolution of the fabrication, bringing the cellar in house, because I mean, we've obviously got full uh, fab shop here with TIG and all oxyacetylene uh, plasma. In fact, we just put a five axis water jet cutter in there. So that side grew um, anyway. And I thought, well, Let's build the R right, and I picked the 50th anniversary. So we called it – I didn't want to call it a replica. I didn't want to call it a resto mod or anything like that. I mean, the fact is replica is the correct term, but we thought, well, it gets misused so much now. Um, You know, uh, we called it celebration, um, and we built the car for that to celebrate 50 years of the original competition 911, you know, the the one that uh, – PHPF went out to really spend the time getting super light, super fast. And we had certain goals. We wanted to meet factory weight. 
we wanted the correct horsepower and it had to look. So from my point of view, I wanted the car to be visually indistinguishable from an original, but in actual fact, nothing on it was original. In the end, a few things yeah. were the rear light housings, uh, the rear light units were genuine because you can't, the modern interpretation has the wrong banding without going all nerd on it. Uh, <laughs> but everything on that car we made here. I mean, yeah. with fasteners, you name it. And actually a nice uh, gent, again, uh, in Europe who, who has the, uh, they are the factory use. You guys will probably know who he is. Uh, we did have the cast together. I think you mentioned the event. Um, and he's a, he's, yeah. a, he's a lovely, lovely guy. And he let us take pictures together and all sorts of things with it. And the car weighed 822 kilos with reserve fuel, oil, and two more wow. like ST seats because they had the headrest and a proper cage in it. Uh, we made removable door bars. And if we were making it today, there's no question we could get it lighter. Yeah. Uh, we built it around a mag case, full competition, twin plug, you name it. Um, how much um, How much composite body panels are there on this? On, on that car? Yeah. On that one, uh, uh, pretty much everything. The whole rear quarter, including the beep, the slam, uh, yeah. that's all composite. The front wings were, the doors, the deck lids, uh, the bonnet, uh, the main tub, uh, that was still steel, but it had our composite dash panel. But the thing was the panel fit. Uh, and the other thing I should get to while we're, we're talking about our car, I got contacted early on and someone said to me, I understand you're making our panels. I said, here we are. He said, I've got to restore what turned to two cars ended up growing into three. He, he specializes in these early cars. He said, I need the panels. And he, that's where the introduction with this other nice gentleman came along. And they, we traded, he sent me, I'm saying hundreds of pictures of this f uh, fairly unmolested factory car and tracings of the doors. And we had all this to and froing. Because a lot of the knowledge is not in the books. It doesn't matter whether yeah, you're reading yeah. uh, Artois, Rassar, Starkey, or, or a lot of these other guys. A lot of the detail is not is not in the books that you need if you want to get or wasn't. So our the normal panels we sell, they fit a standard short wheelbase. So the wings are short wheelbase spec, the doors, the quarters. Our car is actually our spec. So the wings are shorter, the doors are longer. To make the doors, you have to hand make them. There was little detail on the original factory cars, and inside of the door, there was a part number yeah. molded in. Um, we made the tooling to mold all these things in the weave, the color. So we built our car with all the factory spec stuff on it that we could uh, we could put on there that we don't offer to anything other than our restorations. And that was really the start of. I mean, in amongst we'd we'd made panels and odd bits to help you know, restored engine tins, brake calipers. But I think that, our, uh, in my mind, the R was when we started making, we made panels that went on two very, uh, I would say, well-known, they're well-known to me as, and uh, the deal was that uh, we keep a low profile. Yeah. We don't say, uh, the customer doesn't, you know, they, they want people to think this is out, they left the factory, or they don't want people to think they've been restored. And we do a lot of that. I mean, the, the projects that we have in the workshop over the years, we, we keep it discreet. You know, we're not sometimes frontline, you know, we're sort of sub-tier restorer. Yeah. But we yeah. do some, we've done some, uh, I mean, I, I pinch myself moment on some of the projects that we've we'd had the opportunity to be involved in, some really significant stuff. 
Um, and, and it's not just the rest restoration side. We've made a lot of components for other companies, other manufacturers. We've done testing for tyre companies. Uh, we've done tests and set up for different customers. But we, yeah, we do, we do get a lot of stuff through here that we just don't put on social. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing is we're not an open shop. We're, we're, we're an engineering business. We're on four and a half hectares or 10 acres. We've got six and a half thousand square metres of manufacturing. And everything you, you when you you know, I hope you guys get the opportunity to come and see us. I welcome yeah, everybody to, yeah. to you know to come and have a look around. We don't often do open days. We're, we're essentially it's by appointment only here. It's yeah. close shot. Customers leave their projects here and they're under wraps. Um, but uh, and and I think again we we've brought while we do everything in house to control it. So I mean the latest project which we we haven't really gone mad on the social media with it yet. Uh, we spent a number of years developing restoring a 65 uh, that was originally going to be a competition car of sorts and then the owner changed his mind at some point and we said right well, what can we do with this so again it was our without wanting to change the silhouette of the car too much we kept a lot of its stock externally but we went crazy on the development so uh, we spent a year developing air conditioning so it's the as far as i know it's the only short wheelbase in the world to have a full blower and air conditioning everything solenoid activated on it we made all remade all the switch gear um i mean if i didn't have guys like jake had a design here um, i mean everything i think he said in his first year he, he, he designed uh, re-engineered a thousand components on solidworks Gee, and nice. most of He's most a busy of boy production. <laughs> yeah uh matt head of the machine shop uh alan uh, on uh, on the down on the uh, assembly side I mean, that car, we made the wire. We couldn't get someone to make the wiring harness, so we, we developed our own harness. Yeah. All modern harness system in it, all the switch gear, upgraded brakes, the paints, everything's done here. There's not one thing that's gone out, and that's kind of what sets us apart. We that's don't have amazing. any – but we're not building 14, 15, 20 cars here. If someone yeah. wants us to do a geometry setup on a car, we'll do it. Um, if someone wants us to – you know, fix things. And we want to focus on the area specialty and we want to give the customer something unique. So every car, we try not to do two cars the same. We try and do things a little bit different. I keep dreaming different projects up and they get left <laughs> by the wayside. So you'll be, you know, you'll have probably seen a lot of the other stuff we've been developing um, over the years. Again, back to components that, uh, you know, you've probably both seen the RSR Turbo. Yeah, that I was just going to say, yeah. actually, that, I mean, that, that's, awesome. yeah, I mean, that, um, we had a, a little competition a few months ago, and one of the, the model, a model for that car was given away, right. and yeah. uh, I think I was just having a look, trying to find pictures so that we could um, sort of, uh, what's the word, advertise the competition, and then I came across your RSR, and I was like, Jesus yeah. Christ, look at this, you've actually yeah. recreated it, What? how did that all come about so again you're going back i don't know what i was thinking back then because we must have had <laughs> three or four projects all on the go at once none of them sold i said to james uh, i said you know uh, so we got the we we we'd we got i think a good reputation as a parts manufacturer parts supplier yeah but we were doing we we said well you know uh, we want to build cars we want to build cars. We want to build them right, and but you, you know, we 
when we don't sell the, you know, you've got to sh- show customers capability. I mean, as you said early on, when we when we started in this, there was v- very few people doing what's going on now. I mean, every every corner you drive around, someone's a classic nine eleven specialist. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter where you go, I, I'm, I come across them all the time. And and so we said, we need to build projects to show customers, uh, you know, just what they get by coming to EB. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, what's cool, I don't, uh, we had 73, we had 65, we'd done 74, um, and the turbo. I mean, who, who doesn't want one of those? And again, that was built off right. We're never going to win go back to me racing it was we're never gonna win outright in sports cars or cr or anything like that 300 horsepower so how can we do what how can we get this we're not we can't build a that we can build 917 but we're not going to um <laughs> yeah how do we keep it 911 so you know the the rsr turbo came along. i love the fact that it, they're built for all different and i've got very good f- friends relationship with the guys who look after that car um, and the detail, the knowledge on it again was really, it's just not publicized. Yeah. I can't, um, can't, can't believe I'd, how you I'd, found I'd, out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd got to, and then we were racing at Zambort. I'd obviously had some contact through getting papers on cars with, with Jürgen Barth. And I, I met him. Uh, I had some dialogue with him email and I said, I want to build I want to build a 74 RSR uh, turbo and will you sanction papers and things on it? And he said, uh, don't do it. He said to me, he said, uh, it's, it's impossible. He said, uh, it's just too big a project. Nobody's done it uh, since Porsche. It's, uh, you know, in here advice, we go and build 935. I thought, I want to build a 935. There's too many of them. <laughs> um, so there, there was the, that was the red flag in the challenge. <laughs> Um, so literally uh, a, a lot, a lot of hours, we got a shell and access permission to go and sort of uh, work around the original, nearly got thrown out the museum on a trip there for crawling underneath theirs and, <laughs> and really stood in it. And I said, to, I said to, uh, I said to Mr. Bath, I said, uh, how can I find more information out about this? And he said, you need to buy my book. So I went off and I spent an arm and a leg on this book. <laughs> uh, and I think there's two pages in it. And it didn't have anything I didn't already know. Um, <laughs> and just the research and going through what evolved. and Yeah, and it's t- that's why it's taken so long. And the thing is... So how long has the project been going then? Uh, on and off, six years. Has it really? Uh, wow. But when you start to... It's not totally, you know... Uh, it's not an... It, it's a 911, but it's not. You know, yeah. the, there's nothing on the car that's stopped. The, the, the floor pan's completely different. I mean, as everybody knows, it's got a 2.14-litre engine in the back uh, with a massive turbo. They varied the turbo depending on the circuit they raced. There were two types of engine, a vertical fan and a flat fan. Yeah. First 911 ever to run a flat fan. First 911 ever to be turbocharged. First turbocharged car to, to run at Le Mans. Obviously, fuel cell was behind uh, the driver in, in the middle of the cockpit. So as it ran out uh, as a fuel change, it didn't affect the car. But it was the precursor to turbo. So hand-built trailing arms, yeah. uh, 917 titanium coilovers, the hubs, the everything on this car. Uh, 917 wheels and the endurance caliper. Um, but other than that, everything was – there wasn't – 
much that came that was cherry picked off other other cars and a lot of stuff was developed so we had to start again and, and find out how is this trailing arm it's not turbo trailing arm the offset's different where's the suspension pickups how do we do this so we, we've had to develop all of that but just the silhouette the body work using digital images we couldn't scan the car uh, yeah. we didn't have access to do that we traced a lot of things hours and hours of dimensioning it old school way um, yeah, yeah. and the guys upstairs it's crazy and and the rear spoiler alone that whole uh, the deck lid let's call it yeah we originally had that tool by a modeling company who makes uh, film set stuff and they had it we started out as a half ton block of tooling foam and it came and we mounted it on the car and we couldn't get the machine and solid works to to, to to profile it the way we wanted. So it came 90% finished, and then the guys here hand-shaped it, we moulded it, patented it. The, again, the, the arches, the, we, we, we were a year doing the tooling for, for the body panels. Man. And people ring up and say, you know, can I buy the bumpers? And the, the, the answer is no, because how do, how do we recover that? Uh, yeah, and it yeah. dilutes the finished project. Yeah. Uh, we said we'll only ever build four if we can find four customers, because that's yeah. all the factory did. And then we said we want it to be uh, exactly the same as the original. So the original oh, car, every fastener on the original car is is uh, specific to it. It's, uh, it's titanium fasteners. Wow. Um, so we've had to tool up, design, and machine all of those. Even those, uh, as you probably messed with cars, the little they've, they've got like wood screw on the wing fasteners that go into yeah. those. We remanufactured all of those in TI. The, there's no pistons available for it. They're an oddball piston, an oddball barrel. The, we were lucky enough on another restoration project that ran a similar engine. The engine for that car actually ran in R13, I think, from memory. And and uh, our friends, acquaintances, they uh, they did a full rebuild. So I managed to get the, uh, some of the components to 3D scan, the crankshaft, all these different bits. So we're... Um, uh, we've remade the barrels, all the uh, the crankcase machining. We've developed things for that. The crankshaft custom machined. We're at the minute. Uh, we've already done the development piston. Uh, they're machined in house, and I, and I just said right, I don't want to put anything out. I want to machine everything here. I want to make Madness. everything here. So I've wow. really set the guys a big challenge to make these components. Um, and again, the evolution uh, cylinder heads. How do we get more power? How do we develop these things? How do we get the technology? So in amongst all this investment in machinery and the knowledge, we've ended up doing crankcase development yeah. and engine case machining, uh, cylinder head work. So we do full port uh, works on cylinder heads. We put a, uh, our own seat and guide machine and we've got flow bench here. So everything's done CAD upstairs, solid works with basic CFD, and then we flow bench test everything. And all this has really evolved around building just these race cars yeah. for ourselves. And, and, that, and then it, that's it's blowing my mind how I don't know how your team can put all this stuff together, you know, to, to develop that RSR turbo to, yes. to actually rebuild it. Just it's unbelievable to, to be able to do that in six years. It's just, yeah, that's just and, immense. And, and the paint, I mean, we, we've gone mad on the paintwork. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, you'll, you know, these race cars, the paintwork was, it was done to last the weekend. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Our car is, there's a thousand hours in body and paint and every detail of it. So we did it in silver base, uh, lacquer, and then stripes. 
and we ran all the stripes uh, through uh, the doors, the shuts, uh, everything. So it's built like a concourse car. And wow. people think it's just going to sit here. When it's finished, it's definitely going racing. Um, <laughs> Fantastic. So, uh, so, so yeah, when, these, when's these its first the, race? When is it? When it's yeah. finished? I've been saying yeah, what, that for what's got, years. Yeah, what's, what's, got, what's got to be done to get, get it finished now then? So the heads, uh, the heads are finished. Yeah. Um, the pistons, the the, the the prototype pistons made. Uh, they've got the. I think Matt's got those to planning and amongst other custom stuff. Um, and then that's ready for building as a long block. Um, the induction system we've we've made the throttle bodies, the plenum uh, as a development, but we've got to uh, finish them. The flat fan. <sighs> Uh, the, the whole flat fan thing again we, we've we've not commercially made it available but we we made all the tooling to produce the flat fan and composite exactly like it was in the factory wow. i mean there's a there's a, some some good guys over in the states they're offering flat fan kits nobody's made the fan in composite like the factory because the tooling's too difficult yeah it took yeah. us on and off a year and a half to work out how to make the tooling in order just to produce that that composite fan and that composite shroud with the stator in the bottom of it getting gears cut uh taco drive it's got a 906 uh, mechanical tack on it mad um had to find one of those and uh, casting magnesium so a lot a lot of the components for that one car have ended up being production components the argus fittings for oil lines we started making them purely for that car and then a uh, customer came along and said can you make me a full set of argus oil line fittings for an rsr standard rsr yeah. so we ended up understanding oil line fittings and yeah, so really yeah. so that, you've learned so much from those projects yeah and, and, and these components idiot lights on the dashboard can't get idiot lights and it's the manufacturing techniques that's driven us in certain directions so 10 going back 10 years nobody in this country i could find would 3d scan a component yeah this is a little diverse digress into some of the crazy stuff we've done so i met these two guys these two german uh, lads who that developed this process for uh, prototyping metal uh, stamping but they were doing it with a five axis machine and I met them at Nürburgring at the old time of Grand Prix. I was looking at some components they'd made for Porsches. And I said, how are you making this? And they said, yeah, we 3D scanned, blah, blah, blah. And we were based in Arkham. And I'd got hold of a fan. And I said, I need this. I need to reverse engineer these components. But they're too complex for the guys to do with, the, you know, manual things. He said, well, we can 3D scan it. So as I go racing in Spa, or old timer, I was taking components out there. They'd meet me at the race circuit, disappear off to their unit, 3D scan it. I'd pick the part up on the way back from the race weekend, give it the guys upstairs. They'd do all the surfacing. And then I was like, right, we've got the model. I want to cast one and I want it in magnesium. Well, you need patterns to do foundry casting. Yeah. I, I want one. I don't want 10. I don't want 20. So... I then researched and found some companies in Scandinavia, two companies who worked together who were back 10 years ago, bear in mind, they were 3D printing the lost wax in order yeah, to yeah, do yeah. mag casting. So between my contacts in Arkham, ourselves here, the two companies over in Scandinavia, I think the quickest we did, and then obviously I couldn't get companies, this goes back all, all in that machine time. I couldn't find a company who, who did machine work who would do precision machining on magnesium? Yeah, not as a one-off, certainly. So, hence the the it's, investment in machining skill set. 
It's a pretty um, scary process, isn't it? Machine, machine in magnesium. Yeah. Um, uh, I remember in my first job, um, I was an apprentice in an aircraft manufacturing uh, company and we had a, a small machine shop there just uh, sort of for doing prototypes and stuff. And I remember uh, one of the guys machining up a magnesium case for something. And uh, yeah, he had a, a nice little fire quite quickly. <laughs> well, being Northern and fairly basic... The first, I thought, out, out, like I remember someone telling me cobalt was dangerous in, in the, as an additive in, in composites years ago. So what did I do? I got some cobalt, <laughs> uh, put it put it in a Max Packs cut, and took it to the back of the shop and sat there dropping matches in it, trying to get it to fire up. Didn't work, so I figured right, we're, we're all right, we're safe. We're safe. <laughs> and I did, I did the same kind of thing with magnesium. We machined some here into fine swath. I we had buckets of sand all over, and in case the stuff went up. No issue. So I took a whole load of this magnesium dust down into the weld shop and then just for fun sat there with an oxyacetylene trying to see what happened if I set the thing on fire. And in all these years, the only time I've had a magnesium fire is welding uh, some magnesium actually a month ago. I had <laughs> three, three small fires on the same project. Um, but other than that, touch wood. You've been all right. <laughs> never had one machine in but, uh, but yeah, so we developed this process to, to make one-offs. Um, yeah. And the quickest we turned round was, I think it was the MFI uh, pump support base plate, the base plate off an MFI pump on an RSI, yeah. slightly different to standard. And again, coming back from the racing, customer wanted one, picked it up, coming past on a Sunday. By this time, we'd, we'd got facilities to scan in the UK. We scanned it Monday. The guys here did all the design side, had it cast, had it express shipped over on the Thursday, went on the five axis on the Friday and got machined. And we did a one-off mag component in a week's turnaround. Jeez. And, and it, you know, we've kept evolving things like that. Yeah. So that was the casting. And then 3D printing came about because uh, idiot lights on the turbo, so on the dash, they call them idiot lights. They're yeah, a big yeah. dash warning light. Couldn't find them. Nobody commercially sold them. Managed to source one. Again, went down the, the reverse engineering side. How do we make these things? Um, and kept researching and found a company that could 3D print lenses. And they 3D printed the lenses for us. Then you need the spring clips. Laser cutting company local uh, would cut them but they didn't work in spring steel. So we had to free issue that. Then you had to stamp them. So I had the guys here machine a little stamp tool. Bear in mind, you're selling a handful of these things. Yeah. I think I've got more of these little spring retainers out of a sheet of spring steel. And then over the years, we've said, right, we want to bring this in house. So we put a 3D printer in that prints engineering black, gray, and clears for lenses. And then we put an FDM in that we use for prototype development work. Um, and without that, we couldn't, the 65 I mentioned earlier, the AC system on that, to get that to work and package it, you cannot manufacture the components that's designed to fit where they are without 3D printing. The tool would be too complex to yeah, do it, injection yeah. molding. And it's allowing us to do these one-off uh, functional parts. It's amazing, uh, isn't it? The, the new technology, how it's enabling yeah. Yeah, the manufacturer of all these amazing parts to yeah. be done again at such it's, small volumes. But you've, you've got to be open to it. And that's where we go back to, we're really fortunate that we have these diverse businesses here that allow us to continue to invest 
And that's what you don't really see anywhere else. And you yeah. couldn't have the growth in the business and the development that we've done without being, you could commercially couldn't do it. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think that's how we've managed to, 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 to evolve and make these things so quick. Hey, you've got, but the, you need the skill set. You need the guys with the passion yeah. and you can't. And it's almost like people ask us about paint. We don't do insurance paint work. I've tried to do paint work commercially. And the problem you've got is, I think if you're driving guys to, to, to do things on a competitive, on a, in that, in, in, let's say insurance paid work, if you're going to do that on a competitive level, you've got to be doing it day in, day out. Yeah. And you've got to have a mindset where you've, you need to push the guys to keep control over the consumables. But not that there's anything wrong with that standard of paint, but as soon as you go and you want concourse paint finish, you've, you've spent the whole time driving you guys to get stuff out quick at, at, a, at a good rate, but maybe not an exceptional rate. And the minute you want to have that last, well, we say 5%, but we're now saying 2%, it takes so much more time. Yeah. And, the you know, it's not every project you can justify doing it, like I said about the bumpers earlier. So, again, some, some of the projects we do, we the paint, paint shop, we tend to do, if someone wants to do paintwork, we'll do it. We've painted everything from Fiat 500s, uh, Alan Mann Cortinas, you name it. We've had all sorts of, I mean, even modern cars. We've not painted a Carrera GT, but we did some develop, uh, We did some work for a customer on one. Uh, so we had a lot of things through the shop. But it's so really a customer can come and he can see everything that's here. If he wants it, we'll make it. Design it, we'll develop it. The custom work it be, you know, and if it, a lot of our customers, you know, they give us a certain, let's say we have a portfolio of, you know, a general discussion about what the project's got to look like. And then we might have the discussion like, I want the freedom to embellish the car our way and surprise the customer, yeah. not do something. And we like to tailor the build. So we'll go to the trouble of evolving the seating position, the pedal, the shift, the, the, the everything. So it's not just a bolt-on steering wheel. We, we like to do all these little details. You Commercially, you can't cost them in because, you know, how could I sell air conditioning that took probably six months to do, to develop yeah. the unit? Yeah. Uh, by the way, the, the AC system is, uh, it was purchased from, you know, uh, Johnny down there who's, uh, yeah. uh, you know, I know fairly Classic. well. I don't think you'll mind me saying that we, you know, we've, we've worked together for a long time. So yeah, we did, we did the tooling and some of the component production for him. Excellent. So it was Johnny's system that we, we purchased. Obviously it's not, it's not designed for sure. We're based, nothing was never had yeah, a blower. Yeah. So in, in the end, we, we kept the, we kept the compressor and his control gear. And other than that, we, we remanufactured. We couldn't get a condenser to fit. So we, yeah. we made the condenser. We made all the, the whole blower assembly, all the switch gear. Yes. Uh, Amazing. Yeah. Blows my mind how much stuff you do. Um, there's one thing that I noticed in the background that you're sat behind you. There is a, a Fuchs wheel. Um, yeah. You manufacture Fuchs wheels, I believe. That one's a, a billet wheel. So back in the early days, again, go back to the RSR build couldn't buy you could they were difficult to source but finding uh, nines was difficult getting 11s was almost impossible i didn't want there was a certain type of wheel remade but the rim was wrong it had it was designed for con weights it didn't have that correct uh, rim appearance so i tried banded wheels um, yeah. and the 
you know, I didn't like the idea. We ran them, and some of them were all right, but we did have one or two issues where the, they they didn't have the reliability I wanted. So met a nice guy, and he was making small batch production wheels, and he developed the process. It's one of the few things we don't machine that particular wheel in house, and they they machine from billet from the hub face forward. And then the, the the inner rim, if you like, is uh, is it spinning that's machined, and then they're precision welded internally yeah. and externally. And yeah, it started out because I couldn't find the wheels, so we made those in nines and elevens because couldn't buy them. Um, and then obviously the deep six came along, the seven R, a whole load of five and a halves for sixty fives. But then the race series allow sixes. Yeah, really the evolution we've made center locks some custom wheels for a project. Uh, we've got a custom G-Series here at the minute that's got a uh, uh, centre lock that we made as a one-off and we're, we've yeah. evolved that now. They're going to be manufactured in-house. Wonderful. Um, amazing, amazing. Um, one thing that I'd like to talk about is the um, the two-litre cup. You've done quite a bit of racing in that, haven't you? Uh, we did a little bit for the first. Uh, so two-litre cup evolved uh, a number of years ago. Yeah great group of guys who put that together and we did race it for the first i think we did the first season maybe a little bit then it's been good business for us in yeah. one sense you've got to go a little bit further back than that so when we started building the 65 to do the six hours back in 2012 i think it was again it, they were you didn't just didn't see them around so we had to start the development side for that because obviously it's completely different 901 box and kept evolving that and that they two liters really got on the map after the uh, Aldington trophy at Goodwood yeah so we did the Aldington trophy and obviously Andrew uh, Andrew Jordan took took the win but I think Phil and myself Phil Hindley we had uh, I remember John Glynn saying to me he said, and the car, bear in mind, we'd, we were still messing around trying to get the car to, 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 to go in a straight line. Um, and um, <laughs> although gonna, we do like it. Do I was like going to say that I've never seen it go in straight line. I've seen quite a few videos no, of you, was, you driving that, and it just seems to be sliding or drifting everywhere. It's amazing. Yeah, we did. I think that we did, uh, we, we did a set of M sections in eight, 18 or 20 minute race in Mountain <laughs> But that came about from A1, obviously, wanting to be at the front. And we had no idea that – I didn't even know it was it was televised that at the time. And it, Goodwood was on the bucket list. I'd never been before. So the, the chance of getting to go race at Goodwood and, uh, was uh, it was one of those pinch yourself moments. And yeah. we got down there, and but Goodwood was quite specific about the regulations. So you could go and race in Masters and the other series – and it was Appendix K and there's certain freedoms. Anti-roll bars were free. This was free. Silences and, and things. But Goodwood said, no, no, you've got to run anti-roll bar, forged anti-roll bar. You've got to run. You can't run what's, uh, I know it's a dual exhaust. The guys uh, developed over there in, in, and it was very good exhaust, but uh, the collector was wrong on it. And, and Goodwood, Goodwood said, no, you can't race here with that. So uh, we set about developing an exhaust system that w- we wanted to be FIA legal. And Goodwood compliant, and we uh, spent hours messing around forging anti-roll bars here. I must have been an idiot because the car still ended like a pig. Um, anyway, I remember going, and John Glynn said to me again. I'm, I'm sure you won't mind me mentioning his name. I remember him saying to me, "If you're not, if you're not winning, just send it." So 
<laughs> I couldn't help sending it. And we weren't winning either. Um, so yeah, it was. It's. I mean, bear in mind, it's a fair trek for us down there. But for twenty minutes, I still had a lot of fun in that uh, that race. And me and Fernando had a had a rare old scrap, and we got certain notoriety for that. I mean, I remember. I've never had as many people message me on. So I only got Facebook so I could see what uh, the guys here were putting on it. I know you, if anyone follows me, they'll say I don't really, I don't post much. I make the odd stupid comment on things. But uh, <laughs> now a lot of people from Australia and all over, and I have all these kind of, I call them pen pals in the old <laughs> days. Yeah. And, and so off the back of that, the two litre cups or sort of I believe evolved James, uh, James and Lee and uh, and all the guys behind that were putting that together. And yeah, it's, it's I mean it's a fantastic event for you know one make series, and it's brought a lot of the sixty five builds. And obviously we've we we we've developed a lot of components, so we do a lot of machine work for for two liter. We so I don't know. Again, all within the legalities, but we do a lot of crankcase machining for the competition mods, doing a whole load of gearbox development that doesn't really get run in the two-litre cut. The induction systems, the Solex, hundreds and hundreds of hours, the cylinder heads. I don't know. I mean, the cylinder heads alone, I think we've had hundreds of hours in it. Solex carburetors. I mean, we've literally, we wanted to... Jake said to me, "Don't buy it. Don't buy a flow bench. We'll we'll, we'll never be off this." And he wasn't wrong. I mean, I, <laughs> I said to him, "So let's uh, let, what's the advantage of running a backup valve?" So every time I drew these things up, I say, "Let's go on. Let's go back to back testing this. We'll change that and we'll do this. Can we change the butterflies and carburetor? What happens if we put these spaces here? And we we literally test the hell out of everything. And sometimes we make it available. Sometimes we don't. And yeah." Uh, yeah, um, so two litre cup. Yeah, it's been great. And obviously, the guys down there, I mean, um, again, Adam uh, Merlin, as we call him, at, at Lee Maxter Page. We have a great relationship with those boys. And obviously, the Jordan Racing team, they run a lot and uh, some of the front runners. So, yeah, oh, I mean, nice our, our, our components have been on, um, yeah. Uh, uh, a lot of front running competition yeah. cars, championship winning cars. It's really interesting because you know I I saw as I said I, went, I saw the seventy four car back at um, Rensport Collective, and yep. it was just the car of the show for me because the detail on it was just like, I, I, yeah, you know, I'm an engineer by trade, so I, I understand everything, and I, yep. I knew that there was um, a story within EB. You know, that there's so much passion there, so much detail so much effort so much knowledge um so it's been really interesting to hear um a bit of the sort of in-depth story of that because i don't think it's it's known that well um in the general no in the I mean, general guys, sense and it's things like this i mean without the you know this the, this sort of thing that, that you guys do how, how do you get this across i mean it's we said in the early days uh, you post the picture on a website and you, you can't really get across quality and feel. And that's no, where, yeah. you know, again, the story racing has been, you know, it, it's been great for us. Yeah. You know, I get to interact with the customers and when we developed the motorsport, it, it, the, the whole brand and the thing evolved and, and, and just grew. And the thing we said in the early days Another one of my father's sayings, he, he met an old boy when he started out back in the 60s and this guy came up to him and he said, he said, uh, I see you started out. 
He said, if you want a nice business, deal with nice people. And it's very difficult in business, especially commercial business sometimes. And I said when we started the, the motorsport, you know, without wanting to come across the wrong way, you know, we most of the in fact I would say it's fair a lot of the clients they're they're almost like friends yeah I, you know I, you know the we want them to come back we want we want to enjoy their build as much I mean I love yeah, watching yeah. your build I have nothing to do with your build but I just love the fact that I, I can relate to what you're doing and all the things you know the underpinnings and what you're trying to do and you know and I I, I want to enjoy a customer's build and I you know you know when when we when we go out and I see you or I see stuff on social media and I recognize things I think and I'll say I'll send uh, my brother and some of the guys in the shop I'll send them a you know a private message and I'll say there you go a bit of EB mojo on that. <laughs> uh, yeah yeah you know that's a, that's a buzz and, absolutely uh, I saw um a post by uh, Rod Emery um I think it was yeah. in the last week or so um, and he laid out a load of your parts, saying, you know, another fantastic batch of EB motorsport yeah, I, parts. I've got goosebumps, you know, the fact yeah. that I look up to people like Rod Emery, you see what yeah. they're trying to do, and he's, I mean, he, his marketing experience, his business acumen and everything. And yeah, yeah, but you're on, the, you know, you're on the same scale, but yeah, just under the radar, is it? Where, as, yeah, like say, it's, that, it's been amazing thing, to sort of uncover that story a little bit tonight. Yeah, it's well. Like I said it's it, I, I, unless you get to, to, and that's why we, you know, customers, people who want. Like I said, it's difficult to have an open shop because I'd never get anything done. Yeah, that's you know? it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but when people come and they get to see what we're doing and and how we go about things, and you know, like the chat we've had tonight, you can't get that across. You know, I could I could run a million adverts in the magazines or you know it's difficult to do and the, and the time to make the, the, the sort of the videos for social media and absolutely um, yeah. well, so now you, it's been great to, to sit and talk to you guys and then through some of the things we do and uh, uh, like i said you're always welcome to come and have a look around and yeah i'd love to do that yeah from. yeah without a doubt without yeah. doubt it's um it, it, again just kind of in testament to what you do it goes back to what you said from the start and i think you, your dad kind of said it to begin with if you're going to do something do it properly and and the cars that you choose to focus your attention on are so historically significant you know you, you almost have a um, a social responsibility to get that right for everybody yeah. else and and it's wonderful to see that done with such execution i, I would say from, from what we've seen well i know i mean i appreciate all uh, i mean that is great i mean the, and the thing is it's the, the as i said earlier the markets of old people's expectations you know, with there's no question. I mean, I I've been very fortunate in my life to 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 be able to be in and around lots of different things, but particularly Porsches. And from from quite a young age, in that exposure, I mean, I've got loads of stories I could tell you, but it take for hours. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, but a lot of people don't. And and the thing is, the, the expectation today is on this perfect panel gap, on this perfect paint job, and you often, you know, there's. The handful of guys who know who have these original cars and we're lucky that they take them out and they put them on like last yeah. weekend at Goodwood, and you know some of the guys that the the careful not to over restore projects and we're never you know again someone said to me about one of the components we actually have the EB logo purposely uh, on a discrete area where you wouldn't see it mounted yeah and and i remember him saying to me if you get rid of the logo i can sell loads of these for you and i said i don't 
um, it's it's not an original part. You know, we're trying to we, you know we're trying to mimic yeah, yeah. the the look and the feel, but we don't pass anything off as new old stock because it's not. We're, what you see is uh, you know is a very functional part that's probably much prettier than it might have been. Some of the components we will make the tooling so it's got some of the casting idiosyncrasies on it, but. None of the stuff we're selling is uh, we pass off as original unless it isn't. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, it's it's not really who we are. And the same with the builds. You know, we want the customer to see uh, you know paintwork that's. Uh, I mean, modern paint technology is very different to what it was back then. But you know, people want that fit and finish, and uh, you know the trim detail. If someone wants a full-on restoration and they want it period correct, we will go to that level of detail to give them that. But uh, it's really horses for courses and what the customer wants. You know, like a, a, a potential client came to see me, wanted to build a, a competition car. And I said to him, I said, do you want the car to be authentic? Do you want it to be exactly as it was in period? Or do you want a front-running car? Because, yeah. they're, you know, a winning car, you build to win a race and you build it within the regs. But if you want a showpiece that's got all the right details on them, you know, some things might not be. I don't. Uh, again, I don't know how factory got an RSR down to nine hundred kilos, but uh, they obviously did because that's what's written <laughs> on the piece of paper. Absolutely. Uh, like a t- I mean, two liter, thousand and two kilos. I mean, even I mean, we joke. We, me and my brother call ourselves well. Someone once joked with us that we were two fat northern lads working out of a shed, and that's <laughs> what we kind of pass ourselves off as. And I can't believe we still to put ballast in the car. I mean, we, you know, I think they should weigh the cars without us because most of the guys we race against are jockeys. They could, they could have whole family in there. I mean, my brother's six six and I'm six four. Yeah, yeah, you're big guys, aren't you? We look like we look like two caged gorillas in the car <laughs> together. Uh, absolutely oh fantastic right i think um well i think we should say thank you very much for your time this evening it's absolutely. been absolutely amazing to hear, no, hear the pleasure. story yeah. i hope you've enjoyed it and mark bates. No, i loved it it's been great yeah thank you mark bates from uh, eb engineering thank you very much for joining us no thanks everyone for watching this episode was brought to you by our very kind patreons if you enjoy the podcast and would like to join them in supporting us, you can do so at patreon.com slash nineworksradio.